fellow journeyers, welcome. And may God bless you in our gathering together today in this amazing technology that we've been given. What a gift. But I really want to encourage you today with two other thoughts that have just risen in me this week. The first one is thanks for the many of us, dozens of us, who did drive-through Feed Miami collection last week. We have given over 7,000 pounds of food that will be distributed to assist and meet needs, even this last week. Uh, from the time we gave it. And then the second one is this. I've been so lifted to hear reports from parents, from kids, from our family ministry team concerning Kids Camp 2020. What an amazing gift we have shared in this and the way to be on the front edge of the curve. I mean, talk about innovation that makes high tech, high touch. Thank you to all of our parents, our kids, our families, our teams, and to everybody at every level of volunteering in our church family so that we can stay connected like this as personally as possible, even though distanced physically. So, man, I hope that you will feel that appreciation for me today. And uh, as we continue our series on uh, the horsemen of the apocalypse, and today we're on horse number three, but before we unpack the scripture's meaning, I want us to hear from Christ's journeyer, Diana Cardona. And uh, I'm going to ask you to lean in and listen with your heart and your story and see what resonates with you. Hi, my name is Diana Cardona, and I just wanted to share a small piece with you of what God has done in our lives um, through financial hardships. Um, like you, we're feeling the weight of the uncertainty of what's going on with COVID, not knowing um, about our jobs, about sending our kids to school. Um, and as COVID creeps closer and closer into our homes, into our circles um, of our friends and our family, you know, it's hard to trust when things are so uncertain and we really don't understand what's going on from one day to the next. Back in 2008, I started a gratitude journal uh, to help me put things into perspective because those were very tough years for us. Um, we had put everything that we had into the home that we uh, had just purchased. Um, and within just a few months after we had purchased the house, the real estate market crashed. And so we lived through that crisis in our nation. Um, and it was a very tough one for us. I, and within a few short months after moving into our dream home, we found ourselves that the values were plummeting um, like a barrel down Niagara Falls. Uh, to make matters worse, Loncho and I, my, uh, my husband and I were in the real estate market and we had our own mortgage company. And within a few months, we had to make the painful decision of letting um, employees that we loved go. And a few months after that, we found ourselves having to close our doors. And for the very first time in both of our lives, we found ourselves unemployed with three kids and a brand new mortgage. We lost our investment properties. And later on that year, with many other Americans, we found ourselves with the very real possibility of losing our home to foreclosure. It was a really, really tough time for us. For me especially, I felt, um, and I guess sometimes you have to go through this to understand how it feels, but it was a big mixture of despair and anguish and anger and impotence and failure, all wrapped into one that just created this giant pain in the pit of your stomach that um, made you not want to get up in the morning and face the day. 
For me, it would just produce like these cantaloupe-sized tears constantly. Um, all I could do was cry. And those were some really, really, really difficult times. But my very Cuban mom once told me, and it stuck with me, that there was always somebody that was suffering more than you were. So never to look at your circumstances, but rather to look at what God was doing through them. And she was right when she said, there's no way around the hardships, you just have to go through it. And through those hardships, that's where you grow. Looking back and looking back in my gratitude journal, like I always say, there's always something to be thankful for in the midst of it. Um, and I clung to his promises and I clung to his word as did my family. Um, and we put things into perspective, you know. It was very tiring um, in that season because we went, there were countless uh, candlelight dinners. There was the ever-growing recipe of pasta that we could create, um, you know, just tough times. And it was very tiring, but God never left us. God never forsaked us. And we felt that the whole process through. Um, so I guess what I just wanted to encourage you guys is that if we're going to get through this as a family, as a church, as a community, as a nation, we're just going to have to trust God through this process. Um, trust that everything is under his control, that his promises are true. And I clung to them, that he is a God of restoration and healing, that he is the chief doctor of all doctors for all of those who are suffering from COVID right now that he is our provider for those of us who are suffering from um, financial hardships at the moment, um, that the plans that he has for us are good plans, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, that we're not gonna grow weary during these times, that he's going to be our strength and through the process, he is our refuge and our strength and our shield. And we can run to him when we're worried, when we're afraid. Uh, I wish that I could tell you that I know when things get better, we didn't when we were going through it. We just had to trust day by day. And I think that um, we're in the same boat now. It's just a day by day of trusting him, but that it's never going to be overdue. He's going to deliver us in his time, and his time is perfect. His ways are not our ways, um, but we need to trust. He's watching over all of us. He watched over my family. He continues to watch over my family. And because of this and all that he did in my life, I know that people look to us and they trusted in him as well because they saw him deliver us from that pit. And so I'm coming to you still from this home. Years later, it took us a couple of years, but he did save our home and he did restore us. And it's been a slow process and we still, you know, are feeling some effects of that, but he's been so amazing and he's been so great in our lives and he's been so faithful and so true. And he grew us so much in that season that that's my prayer for you, that if you're going through a hard time right now, that God, will just strengthen you and your faith in him will grow so much that others will look to you and say, what is it about this Jesus that they can be at peace in the midst of the storm? Oh, Diana, I, I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, it takes courage to share a story like that. It takes humility, it takes love and faith and heart, all things that we've come to appreciate about you and Lancho. Your precious family is in our prayers, as are all the families of Christ's journey right now that are living through this challenge and this ordeal as well. Because what I can tell you is many of us are relating to that right now. And so we join you in trusting God for a better way to a better day 
that we are, uh, are expecting by his hand. In fact, we like to say it this way, nothing is too hard for God. Would you say that with me? Nothing is too hard for God. Amen. And with that assurance, we come today to the black horse of the apocalypse. Revelation chapter 6, verse 5. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quarter wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and don't damage the oil and wine. The black horse. This is the undoing and unraveling of uh, basic fabric of life stuff. This is like one's ability to put food on the table and to be able to afford the cost of living. Economic oppression is this horse's message. The high prices of wheat and barley represent famine conditions. The cry to guard the oil and wine is, uh, is either setting limits to the famine's destruction or affluence talking over it. Affluence that is out of touch with the pain of poverty to the point that they want to be sure that in the midst of hardship for everybody else, their luxuries are protected. The thought of a day's wage, a full day's wage being charged for wheat and barley speaks to the high demand and low supply and runaway inflation happening economically. The black horse is an economic indicator. The scales that the rider is holding were used at the time for the way bread would be weighed during a famine. So this is a symbol of economic hardship and a time where some are tremendously food insecure and others are poverty insensitive. Not my issue. Some teachers in the Revelation push the four horsemen way out into the future. I guess you've seen by now that it makes more sense to me to see them as present realities with increasing intensities as the Lord's coming draws near. Hal Lindsey, a futurist, during the worldwide famine of food and fuel back in the 1980s, said that this verse refers to our time. Even then, in fact, right now, one in nine people worldwide go to bed hungry each night, including some 20 million at risk of famine. The 2020 United Nations Security, uh, Food Security Report notes this, global hunger is on the rise for the fifth year in a row. With Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean, where many of our families are from, as the most undernourished continents in the world. 7.8 billion people in the world. We grow enough food to feed 10 billion, with a B, people, and yet 3 billion people can't afford a healthy diet right now. So, as has been observed time and again throughout human history in virtually every culture on every continent, the poor get poorer, the rich get richer at the expense of the poor. The black horse looks like that. 
In our day, we've seen injustice that allows corporate giants to escape taxation, at the same time pay low wages to keep employees from making enough to get benefits, and then making too much to qualify for government assistance. Black horse stuff. As I was preparing this talk, a message arrived from Wellspring, our counseling partner in ministry, and the header simply said this, is COVID affecting your mental health? That got my attention. The writer then informs me that according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, did you know there was such a thing? Anxiety is the most common mental health disorder in America. The fear, worry, discouragement, and sadness that come with it are normal, they say. Now that's interesting. Normal in times of economic distress and the lack of normalcy. Okay, think about that for a moment. What's normal during the lack of normalcy? Anxiety. In our survey a month ago that we sent out churchwide, we asked our church, how much anxiety are you experiencing during the current crisis? Those responding, hundreds of us at the time, said this, none, 23%, some, 25%, moderate, 18%, strong, 21%, extreme, 14%. You know, that's all across the board, but enough for, to show that the, the broad majority of us are feeling and aware of a sense of anxiety. We also ask this, are you feeling stress in your personal finances? One month ago, here's what you said. Now, a month ago, we know this has changed since then. None, 37%. Some, 22%. Moderate, 18%. Strong, 13%. Extreme, 11%. So two out of three of us are feeling some financial stress right now in the time of the lack of normalcy. Speaking of the lack of normalcy, uh, did you see this? Each year, Time Magazine dedicates a cover of their magazine to, to the person they deem person of the year. And this is a parody, but it made sense to me. Mr. Mayhem. Recognize him from the insurance commercials? It's like he's just been unleashed on, uh, on global culture, right? Last month, the World Bank noted, quote, the COVID-19 pandemic has spread with alarming speed, infecting millions and bringing economic activity to a near standstill. The economic damage is already evident and represents the largest economic shock the world has experienced in decades and is expected to plunge most countries into recession this year. In less than 15 years, the United States has suffered the two biggest economic crises since the Great Depression. You're saying, oh, thanks a lot, Pastor Bill. I mean, you're, you're giving me some Great Depression right now. What are you, what's going on? Well, you have to know this. I'm not trying to bring you down. What I'm trying to help us see is maybe something we've been missing. Three things that the black horse reveals in a kind of cultural MRI, an X-ray expose that, uh, that is trying to help us see reality. You know, the word apocalypse means unveiling. 
What does the black horse economic indicator unveil? Now, I could be wrong in this, but I'm thinking at least three things. Number one, our basic human vulnerability. You got to eat, and this is affecting that. Number two, our tendency to idolatry, especially of materialism and of ourselves. What does that mean? We tend to believe that material things are the solution and that we can fix things without God. Idolatry. And then number three, it reveals our ultimate accountability. Sooner or later, we all sit down to a banquet of consequences. The four horsemen are the riders of consequence who are letting us know, hey, you can run, but you can't hide. And the white horse of conquest and pride, the red horse of anger, fear, violence, and payback, talked about that last time, they take their toll. In ancient times, famine was part of that toll. A normal result of war when invading armies lived off the lands that they were conquering. So the black horse rides and runs with the white and red. Pride, anger, fear, and greed stampede together, leaving trampled lives in their dust. The unveiling. So if that's our now, and I realize you may disagree with me, somebody, but if that's our now, then what is our how? I mean, until, until we see Jesus, what are we to do when it feels like we don't have enough? We may not make it. Now, may I remind you of three actionable words that God has given us for such a time as this. Trust, help, give. Trust, help, give. First word, trust. In the face of anxiety, in times of uncertainty and doubt, when you start hearing that voice in your head saying, what if you lose your job? What if the economy tanks? What if, what if, what if, right? God tells us in his word, don't worry about what you can't do. Trust God and do what you can. Trust. So from a prison cell, taken out of circulation, in lockdown, Paul says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6. Jesus said this, seek first. This is for always. Seek first every day. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? The necessities of life will be given to you as well. Therefore, he says next, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, Matthew 6, 33 and 4. So one of the things trust means is pray. Pray every day. Pray like Jesus taught us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, Matthew 6, 10 and 11. And then on the survey that we sent out, we had an item that said, when I'm in crisis, I find my hope in God. What did we say in response to that? Well, no one really disagreed, 1%. Uh, but somewhat agree, 15%. And strongly agree, 
84%. Another response said this, I'm not anxious about my life. I have inner peace from God. How'd we do on that one? 1% disagree strongly, 1% somewhat disagree. Neither was like 9%, you know, ah. And then 19%, I somewhat, and 69% strongly agree. In other words, 88% of us are saying, I agree. I think this is a soul healthy indicator of our body life. But here's the other thing. We don't just sit around and pray until we feel peace. You know what we do? We also work. In the letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians was a letter written to people concerned about the second coming. So if, you can read it in like 10 minutes. But in that letter, Paul says, here's how to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders. We're still declaring confidence in a God who is coming to our rescue instead of alarm. Verses, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So, we trust as we pray and as we work. Why? Well, second word, so we can help. We're here to help. Luke chapter 10, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? That means this is the most important one, the last thing we would let go of. Whether Jesus comes back in the next 10 days or the next 10 years, he says this is the most important commandment for anybody to follow. Love God and love your neighbor. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Be a good neighbor. Be a good Samaritan. Galatians 6.2, Paul says this, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. So we make it through economic hardship by helping each other. Sometimes we offer the help. Sometimes we receive the help. Sometimes we say, hey, could you give me some help? But help is how we make it. Our survey showed that most of us right now are ready to pray, ready to help, willing to help one another through this hard time. Uh, some of us said, hey, I could use a little help right now. I'm saying, way to go. Thanks for showing up. There's no shame in that. In fact, because of the generosity of our people during the last great recession that we experienced in 2008, we were able to say to our congregation, as I'm saying to you once again now, to every person who's a part of the Christ Journey family, your shelves will not be empty during this crisis. And thank God for people who are willing to help and, let, and willing to receive help so that we can be of help to one another. The early church shared their home, shared their goods, shared their help with one another. We're doing the same thing for those within our church. So through our groups, and through our internal benevolence, our disaster relief funds, we help people. We help with food, we help with utilities, we help with bills, we help with shelter, we help with necessities of life. We help. You're wondering, how can I stay connected to the help network? Group is the way. If you're not in a group, you need to get grouped now so that we can stay, we can have a pulse on where we are as a body and we can know how to help. Um, so your, your group is your network connecting to the church's ability to care and the network of support. In fact, last week, I already mentioned a little earlier uh, that Feed Miami, we did a gathering of food for Feed Miami. But over the past several years, we have literally given 
tons and tons of food to provide multiplied thousands upon thousands of meals for times just like this. So let us do that. Thank you for helping us do that. We also help people get the tools to manage their own resources with greater wisdom toward God's blessing upon them. Uh, and so we're going to be offering Financial Peace University in a virtual format August the 3rd. How many of us, hundreds of us within our congregation have experienced training that become tools that can turn into transformation when it comes to a time of economic crisis. So, and then here's the thing, it's not a bit unusual for those who were needing help to be the very ones who step up and are able to offer help the next time that we need it. Now, why is that? Because of the third word, give. Trust, help, give. We build generosity muscle in the body of Christ following Jesus. And this is what Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gave a specific uh, spoken word about what to look for when it comes to signs of the end and uh, the second coming of the Son of Man, when he's going to return. But do you know what he spoke of in chapter 25? In chapter 24, he's telling us about the signs of his coming. In chapter 25, he says, you can be ready in this way, by living as I live. This is, it's an amazing story of when the Son of Man comes, it says they will be divided, that all people will be divided into two groups. And to one group, the king says, come, you who are blessed of my father, receive the kingdom inheritance prepared for you. And then to the other group, he says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Whoa, wait a minute, that's heavy. That's heavy. What, what's going on here? Well, what's the difference between the two groups? That's the question, right? To the first, he says this, I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I needed clothes. You dressed me. I was sick. You cared for me. I was in prison. You came to see me. So whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. And then to the second group, he essentially said, and you didn't. I mean, you should read that for yourself. Matthew chapter 25, latter part of the chapter. But he said, you didn't. All the need in the world around you and generosity never flowed from you. The first people, I'm telling you, they show generosity in the way they live. The way that they treat others in need. But the second group, they're like, they're living Dead Sea lives. You know about the Dead Sea, right? Lowest place on earth. Everything flows into it. Nothing gets out of it. Some people live their lives just like that. What if we had a pie chart showing that? How much generosity gets out through your life, my life? Would it be a sliver? Would it be a section? Would it be, you know, that's what Jesus is saying. Generosity shows up. When God's love comes in, generosity rises up and flows out. So when God, where God's love flows, generosity grows. And the second group were showing that God's love was never welcomed in because it never flowed 
out. You know, by the way, you don't need the church to organize something to be able to help, to be able to give. Um, I heard about a Christ Journey member this last week who owns a building that has tenants and his tenants can't make rent right now. So you know what the owner did was just be gracious in extending the time and working to help them in that. So he's being generous in the face of this crisis on making payments, but he's helping right where he is. So you don't need to wait for the church to organize something. You are the church and we, we make it through this crisis when we trust, we help, and we give. But the second group, the second group people in Matthew 25, I mean, they don't even see it. They, it's like the needs of others are invisible to them in the crisis. And in the story, in fact, they get very defensive. They even argue with the king. Uh, it's like they challenge the king for who are you to hold us to account? Revealing even more of what's going on inside. It reminds me of something else Jesus said. You know, they get very defensive, but they show zero sensitivity to human need. Jesus said this, Mark chapter 8, verse 36, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? It's possible to lose your soul. This is heavy. But is that what the black horse voice is about? that's coming from the living creatures about guarding the oil and wine. That there is a group that, of people that are wanting to protect their worldly luxuries even while others are struggling for basic necessities. That they, somebody has gained the whole world and yet in the process has lost their humanity, has lost their very soul. And it's happened before their eyes. Now how does Jesus want Jesus followers, Christ followers, to live in a world until he comes. Bottom line, in ways that show we care. There's no insurance policy that I'm aware of that can cover every black horse mayhem that wants to stampede into your life and then trample on uh, people that matter to God. But friends, God is willing to let us have the choices and the consequences that they bring. If you are finding yourself in a place of provision right now, God bless you, would you celebrate it? But as you're saying, Lord, thank you for sparing us hardship at this time, doesn't it also sound like Jesus to say, and Lord, show me how I can help. Show me where I can give. Show me. Where as your love flows in, I can let generosity grow and touch others. May God bless his word to the healing and helping of many lives, yours included today. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for the way you model this for us. Thank you that you were willing to step into our crisis as a world lost, separated from you but that you entered into it and you brought solution with you, that you yourself are our hope. 
And so we turn to you not just for material provision in our time of need, though we do ask you for that. Give us our daily bread. You taught us to pray that way. So please, Lord, provide for your people. Provide for your family. Take care of us so that we can cover our bills and love our loved ones and and be here for one another. We ask for material provision, but we know that you yourself are the real solution. So we worship you today. We thank you that you are present with us in this crisis by your spirit. And we invite you to help us find our place as part of the solution. We trust you. We turn to you with our prayers, but also with our work so that we might find a way to help. Help us likewise. Lord, thank you for Diana and her story but help those of us who are in need of help, not to be so proud that we don't receive it, but that we're willing to receive your love through others that you are providing for that want to give. Teach us humility and let us receive so that when our day of opportunity comes, we can also know the joy of giving. And Lord, we thank you for the many who are doing that right now so that I can say what I've said today and we can know that our families will be cared for. And Father, we are also sensitive to those who do not know you in the forgiveness of sin and the presence of your spirit in their life. Friend, if that's you listening in today and it feels like God is a million miles away to you, that you think, well, there must not even be a God. May I offer you a prayer that can open your hearing a little larger as you welcome his spirit into your life. Pray with me in these words. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me as God come for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead so that your spirit can now come alive in me. I welcome you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. I am turning from doing life my way to learn to do life your way. And I receive you now by faith. And thank you for hearing my prayer as I make it in your name. Amen.